Well, a little, little trivia. The uh, girl in that uh, TV commercial was Kristen Dunn uh, from the Spider-Man movie. So if you didn't recognize her back when she had 80s hair. Today we're looking at, uh, remember all that hairspray we used back in the 80s? Well, I didn't, but uh, all my friends, uh, girlfriends did. We're looking today at trouble. There is, uh, all relationships have difficulty. And Dr. Gottman in his book, The Seven Pillars of Marriage, describes two types of troubles. Some of them are solvable. And some of them are perpetual. And as he began to examine over 30 years, he studied successful marriages. And he said for years, folks had to theorize of what would work or what wouldn't work. But he for 30 years studied relationships that stayed strong and healthy. And he found that in healthy relationships and in dysfunctional relationships, the two types of problems, those that were solvable and those that were perpetual, the type that were perpetual, no matter what you do, you can't really solve the differences. They're going to be with you for the next 10, 20, 30 years. What percentage do you think were perpetual? He found that 69%, almost 70% of the issues in friendship, in family, in marriage are perpetual. Which means one of you likes doing things fast, the other one's slow. One of you likes things neat and organized, the other one's more absent-minded, more of a slob. One of you wants kids, the other doesn't. One of you wants to raise your kids as a, as a Catholic. One of you wants to raise them Jewish. There are religious belief differences. There's differences of parenting. You feel like one of you is too harsh. The other feels like you're too soft. That these differences in good relationships and bad relationships, 70% of the time, these are perpetual issues. In other words, we've got trouble, don't we? And we need to know how to handle that trouble and handle those difficulties if we're going to sustain long-term good relationships. He tells the story in his book of uh, Andy and Bill. And so the Andy and Bill had just as much trouble, and one of their perpetual issues is that Bill never wanted to hang out with Michelle's um, family. And so in the midst of that, they would just get into fights about it, but when they came to him for counseling, one of the things he noticed that they did, that healthy relationships do, is they could keep their conflict, even the perpetual problems, in perspective. They had a good sense of humor about it. He was interviewing them one time, and Bill said, Yeah, she wants me to go hang out with her family. And, and I'm always like, Yes, dear. And she laughed, and she imitated. Yep, he always says it, Yes, dear. And then together they both said, Anything you want, dear. And even though they disagreed, they, they kept a good sense of humor about it. They, they kept it, the difficulty, the perpetual problem, in the perspective to their greater friendship and relationship. He told another story about Melinda. Melinda and, no, I'm sorry, it was Carmen. Get the names of them right. This was Carmen and Bill. Carmen was very, very organized, very, very clean. Uh, she ran the house a little bit like a drill sergeant, a sense of having everything organized. But she married Bill, the absent-minded professor. And Bill tried to clean up because she knew how important it was to, to Melinda. But quite frankly, um, he, uh, he just didn't remember much. And she would sometimes get frustrated because she would find the, the bill to pay for the house electrical. And it was two feet under the newspaper in the recycling bin. But instead of getting furious or angry, she relatively teased him in a good-natured way. Hey, I found the, found the, the, the house mortgage or I found the electrical bill under... Two feet of newspapers. But sometimes when she has a stressful day, she'd get really angry. She'd get really mad. Why can't you ever organize? It's so simple. You put it back where you got it. And he would respond almost the same every time. He'd go and make her hot chocolate. That was her favorite thing. 
And he would go as she was sitting on the couch and give her hot chocolate. And that was his moment of saying sorry or penance or being contrite. He said these little things of learning ways at which for the two of them and their cleanness, it was an ongoing way of giving each other grace, accommodating one another, offering ongoing uh, offers of sorry or reconciliation that made their marriage work. And it's often the little things in our friendships, the little things in the workplace where we say we're all going to have trouble. Seventy percent of the time we're going to have trouble that can't even necessarily be solved, our differences. But the thing that makes the troubled relationships Effective is sorry. If you ever play the games of sorry and trouble, they look almost identical. Maybe not on the box top. But for the most part, you go around the circle on the different squares. And then when you get to a certain point, you come into the safety zone. And if you land on somebody else, you send them back all the way around the board. The only difference between trouble and sorry is that in trouble, you got this cool little popper thing that you do. Pop, pop, pop to roll the dice. Versus in sorry, you take a card. And though these games look very similar at first glance, they're really fundamentally different. And what Gottman found is that in relationships, marriages that are successful, friendships that are successful, don't have any less disagreement. They don't have any less difficulty. They don't have any less trouble than bad marriages. But what they have learned is how to bring sorry into those troubles. You see, sorry is a great substitute for trouble. And as we learn how to say sorry, as we learn how to repair our relationship, we can actually bring success even in the midst of differences. So sorry is a great substitute for trouble. We're going to look at four signs of trouble today, and then we're going to look at four pieces of sorry. Because in trouble, what happens is, and this is what happens in life, we get mad, we get angry, we get fearful, we get bitter when somebody lands on us. Somebody's idea is different from ours, and they want our space. They want to do it their way. We, we, we get angry or upset or bothered or say something we, we, we know we shouldn't have or didn't want to when somebody bumps into us, somebody takes our space, somebody pushes us back, somebody gets their way. And if you ever played Trouble, there's a big popper thing in the middle for popping the key. And all of us have developed these popper habits, these sort of go-to habits that we learned. And some of those we learned from our parents. Some of those we learned is a way to get our needs met. If we have a need for appreciation, we learn to perform well, to be a great athlete, to be a great student, because when we perform well, pop, we get our encouragement met. Some of us learned that in order to get attention, we had to rebel a bit. And by rebelling, that's when, pop, we got dad's attention or mom's attention. Some of us learned, pop, the way we got attention or the way we got our needs met for affection or the way we got our needs met for attention or for support is by... We were just sick and just had a hard day. And and that became the go-to habit that when things are bad, that's when people give me the attention or the comfort I need. The problem is these go-to habits are often about manipulating or taking from other people. And whenever we take to get our needs met, it never satisfies. Because we didn't want to have to take to get them met. We want somebody to choose to give to them. And those very habits that meet our needs at a small level end up leaving us empty at the long term. They put us in trouble. These habits what the Bible calls the flesh. In in the book of Romans, chapter 8, it says these go-to habits, these popping habits that we've we've learned from our family systems, that we've learned from growing up, uh, that cause us trouble are called the flesh. And it says if you live according to those habits, live according to the flesh, you're going to die. 
You'll die spiritually. You'll die emotionally. Your relationships will die and fall apart. Your parenting, your teammates, your marriages. Flesh taking from one another doesn't ultimately satisfy. In contrast to that, there's another way. If you live by the Spirit, you can put to death those old habits, those marital games that we play, and you will live. I was home a few weeks ago, and I got to play Trouble with my nephew. And he had the Star Wars edition. So if you look inside that bubble there, you'll see R2-D2. See him in there? And in this version of Trouble, when you pop it, if you get R2-D2 to land on all fours or all twos, then you got like a, a bonus uh, extra roll. And so we're playing this thing and having a great time. You know, and I, not a, my favorite game, not very strategic. It's all about chance. But we're playing together, and I realize that's really what most of us have. We have our own individual little self in this little popper. This individual habit, pop, that we do. This go-to mechanism that unless we work against it, and even though it's caused destruction, even though it's been difficult, even though it's caused difficulty, even though our, our, our staff members, even though our coworkers, even though our spouse or our kids have mentioned this thing to us, pop, 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 pop. It's such a habit to do it that we haven't been able to overcome it. I'll give you four examples. So we're going to introduce you to four couples. They could be married couples. They could be parent-son. They could be friends. I'll give you a little example of all four um, that we're going to meet today. The first pattern, the habit or flesh pattern, is what I call complainer-procrastinator out of their book, Intimate Encounters. So here we have our dad, and here we have the son. And dad is the complainer, and the young son is the procrastinator. It goes something like this. I need you to pick up your room tonight, son. I will, right after I finish the game. A little later on. Uh, the game is over. It's 9 o'clock. You haven't picked up the room yet. Oh, come on. Tim said I could stay at his house tonight. Can't I just do it tomorrow? You said that yesterday. You spent the night twice. I told you to do it, and you didn't do it. You know what? Maybe I'd do it if you'd stop nagging so much. Right? So never takes responsibility. He's the procrastinator. Complainer. Now, this is true in a marriage, too. So if this is a husband and wife, it would be, Hey, I really need you to... Uh, to fix my car before I go to Chicago this weekend. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Hey, it's Wednesday night. I re- I'm leaving Friday morning. I'll get to it. Stop nagging me so much. All right, it's now Thursday night. I'm leaving tomorrow at 1. Should I call somebody or shouldn't I? Stop nagging so much. Right? And here's this game we start playing. Procrastinator, complainer. Here's another one. This is the hooked versus nothing's wrong game. Hooked, nothing's wrong game. Hey, hon. It's a young marriage couple. Or, or maybe they're dating. They're real young. They're dating. <laughs> hey, I got married at 21. I probably look younger than this. What's wrong, hon? Looks like something's upsetting you. Nothing's upsetting me. Nothing's wrong. I'm fine. Thank you. Are you sure? Are you upset at me? No, slam, slam, slam. I'm fine. I'll survive. Leave me alone. Okay. Now, what happens is this person has learned to say nothing's wrong. And this person has learned, this is the game we play in marriage. I've I, I got to guess what it is. I've got to manipulate what it is. I've got to figure out what it is. And this person has learned that the way they get attention, the way they get their needs met, is by playing this cat and mouse game. They've never learned in a healthy way how to express their relationship. Either because they think, you know, guys don't admit when they're hurting. Guys don't admit that they're upset. Or they don't, aren't in touch with the ability to say, I'm bothered about what happened last night or a few weeks ago. Their flesh pattern for this guy is, nothing's wrong. Well, you know something's wrong, but that's what they've learned. Now, this person has learned more of a codependent relationship, which is that my job is to make everybody happy. Oh, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. And their flesh pattern is, I'm not happy unless other people are happy. 
Now, this pattern is not healthy. It's the flesh. It's trouble. This person's not going to be happy because if your happiness is dependent on somebody else, <laughs> good luck to you. And if your way of, of allowing yourself to be vulnerable and honest about your troubles, your difficulties, your need for comfort, is about manipulating through nonverbals until they finally say it enough to drag it out of you because at some level that's how you get attention, very unhealthy pattern. Third one. This is the performer and yes but. Performer, yes but. I wish we could go to dinner sometime. We haven't been on a date in a long time. I got an idea. Why don't we go out this Friday? I'm always tired on Fridays. Well, what if we go out on Saturday? So hard to find a babysitter on Saturday. (laughs) Hey, I'll ask my sister. She's available. I know she's free this Saturday. I always feel guilty about asking your sister because we never pay her. Well, let's ask Jennifer across the street to babysit. She's not very responsible. Let's just forget it. Right? So here's what you have is a performer. So this performer learned his whole life that the way you get attention, the way you get appreciation, the way you get affection is you perform for it. And so you become an over-functioner. Do whatever it is. whatever. Can't set healthy boundaries because I'm going to prove that I'm doing my part. And this person is more of an Eeyore. They have learned that negativity is how you get comfort. Poor me, it's tough. Nobody ever cares for me. And if you do care for me, it wouldn't work out anyway. I'm Eeyore. Now, there's a little Eeyore in all of us. There's a flesh pattern that we go to, and I'll go there when I get tired or when I get self-pity. Pop! Pop! The yes but. And there's a lot of performer in me. A lot of performer in me. I know it's hard to believe. And sometimes it's hard for me to help to set healthy boundaries because I do want to please. That's the good part. But it gets me in trouble when I don't set it in a healthy way. Now, many of you may not know this, but Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, right after his political career ended, and he did a couple bad movies and none of us saw, which is why they're not doing well, he had to move in with his grandpa. And so he and his grandpa are roommates. I don't know if you know this. And so they live in uh, Dagobah in a tree, and they have a really bad pattern in their relationship as well. And I'll call it um, outdone sweet martyr. Outdone sweet martyr. Now, Arnold's had a bad day, um, and he wants to come home and talk to his roommate about his bad day. So it goes like this. Mm, Yes, bad day you had. Mm, How was your day, Arnold? Uh, It was not good. I had to work out for a long time. My movie did not... You had to work out. Mm, I had to clean the entire swamp today, I didn't. Mm -hmm. Did you see how much I cleaned the swamp? Did you not realize that? Well, I was just trying to tell you that my last movie did not do well, and I had to work out so much. It was very much a, hmm, 868 years old. You be, see how good you look. Yes, I have worked harder very, very long. (laughs) Now, sweet martyr, Yoda, oh, he eventually storms out of the house, but he says, you know, I'll be back. So he'll be back. Yoda is sweet martyr. He will ask his friend, his child, his parent, his spouse, how they're doing, but he doesn't really care how they're doing. He actually is just trying to get his needs met. He wants to hear and tell you how his day was. And no matter what you share, if you need comfort or attention, it always bounces back because the needs of sweet martyr always overwhelm the outdone. These are just four, and there's hundreds of these patterns we develop over years that cause trouble. 
In fact, here's how it says in Romans 8. It says that when you practice these kind of patterns, these unhealthy communications, when you live according to the flesh, these type of things, you'll die. It just destroys relationships. But if by the Spirit you realize that there, God has, has given you your need for acceptance, given you your need, we'll talk about that in a moment, for, for love and respect, you can share your needs in a relationship and the other person can choose to meet those needs. And you start talking about needs and prioritizing each other and trying to manipulate each other. Because, as I said before, our needs can't be met by taking or manipulating. We looked last week at Connect Four at this idea of an emotional cup. And I used the Connect Four box. Go to the next slide. And we saw this diagram of how we hold emotions. So we've all been designed. God designed us with needs. The Bible describes these kind of needs. I'll give you a few of them. Maybe you want to just make attention to what your top three might be. Maybe your spouse's top three, uh, your son or daughter's top three, your friend. Attention. You know, my number one need is attention. So is my wife. So they look different. For me, I like my wife to celebrate, give me attention. Let me tell you what I'm working on and her to be excited with me. Her need for attention is for me to enter her world. Man, I've had a bad day. Well, I've had a bad day too. Oh, I'm being Yoda. Instead, for me to say, well, tell me about that. Sounds like it was really tough. Sounds like that was hard. So attention. Number two, comfort. We have a need for comfort. We have a need for appreciation, a need for support, for affection, for encouragement. Well, I'm not believing in myself. I really need somebody to sort of encourage me or fill me with courage. Acceptance, support, blessing, the need for respect and security. So over the years, I've identified my wife's top three, my, my, my top three, and I notice that when, when my needs aren't met, I have a tendency to, my emotional cup gets filled with hurt or loss. Well, I wanted you to be excited about this, but you didn't seem very excited about it. Hurt. For me as a guy, I quickly pass that stage and go to anger. I'm mad that you weren't excited about it. Or when my wife, when I don't enter her world, she feels hurt and angry that I, that I tried to fix it instead of trying to enter her world. Well, that hurt and loss leads to anger and bitterness, and that quickly leads to fear. Next time you go to share your idea, next time you go to initiate, next time you go to hope somebody will give you comfort your bad day, you remember the last time, and that fear comes back. And all of that begins to produce guilt and bad behaviors, which push out your positive emotions. So when I see in my kid's life anger or fear or hurt, I try and look underneath that and say, what do they need? Like I know for my son, Javen, Respect is a key, key need. Even if he's not always respectable, he needs me to treat him respectfully. So I'll say, how can I communicate this in the most respectful way? And that will just take the tension down. Well, what happens is you begin to learn how to meet needs versus manage behavior. You begin to say, whatever the pattern is, you can begin to communicate what's really going on. You know, And for this person, sweet martyr... What they really need is some comfort, right? But they had to manipulate the situation. How's your day? But they didn't really care about your day. They really wanted you to care about their day. Instead of trying to trick the other person into it, just say, hey, I've had a tough day. And when you get a moment, I need to sit down for a few moments because I really need some understanding. I really need some empathy. I really need some support. I really need some attention. But there's some vulnerability there, right? Well, what if they don't give it to me? Well, that's the nature. When we're vulnerable with our needs, the other person can choose to do it, and that's what's going to meet it. On the other hand, they could choose not to, and it's going to deposit more hurt. So healthy relationships, when we move out of the trouble relationship, is when we learn how to, in a healthy way, communicate our needs and begin to recognize what's going on inside each one of us. That's trouble. Now, 
the substitute or the fix for trouble is sorry. Sorry. How do we begin to catch ourselves in these patterns, apologize for these patterns, and begin to work in a healthy way? Well, the Bible, right after this passage about the flesh producing death, describes what the Spirit does. And here's what it says in the next part of the verse right here. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Now just pause right there for a second. He's talking to those who've chosen to follow Christ. And so when you follow Christ, this is the main message of the Bible, you're forgiven of everything you've ever done. You are made respectable before God. No matter what you've ever done, you're suddenly fully accepted by God, fully appreciated by God, fully songs are sung over you by God. All of your needs fully and eternally are secure in God, is what he's saying. And the very Spirit of God comes to live into you to give you that security. You did not receive the spirit of bondage, again, to fear. You don't need to fear that you're not loved, that you need to earn approval. But instead, you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if you're a child, then you're an heir an heir of God, and a joint heir with Christ. So here's what happens. This truth begins to take hold of your heart. Look at these words, adoption, child, heir. When you become a follower of Christ, you begin to recognize, I still have needs. But ultimately, these needs aren't the ultimate thing in my life. So if somebody doesn't meet my need for comfort or attention, I'm still hurt, but I'm not devastated. Because the one who really matters loves me and cares for me. And so then I can learn to, to begin to express my needs from a place of security rather than insecurity. And instead of trying to take from somebody else, I can say, because I'm secure in God, I'm adopted, I'm loved, I, I'm fully uh, owned by the one who matters, I can now express my needs. And when my spouse or my child or a, a coworker expresses their needs, because I've been filled up by God, I can now choose to give and Christian marriage or Christian relationships are two people who say, I know what God's done for me. He saw my needs and met them. So now you know what I want to do? I want to find out the needs of the people around me so I can meet them. It's two people choosing to give to each other rather than take from each other. And that comes from a deep place of spiritual and emotional health when the Spirit of God is in you bearing witness that I am secure. I matter because of what Christ did. I don't have to hide. I don't have to pretend that I didn't do something wrong. I probably did do something wrong, and I can own that. And the reason I can own that is because I'm fully accepted by God. And in that full acceptance, I can now say, wow, I did manipulate you there. Man, I'm sorry. I was inconsiderate of your feelings last night. I'm sorry. You know, when you did want me to be excited about your project and I cut you off, I'm sorry. But the reason a lot of us can't apologize, besides it wasn't modeled for us, is because when you apologize, you're vulnerable. You're admitting weakness. And if you've learned to perform, where's our performer? If you learn to perform, it's hard to admit you're wrong because that's an example of being a bad performer. First, when you realize my performance can't ever get me right with God... And in fact, there's something even insidious about some of my performing. It's about tricking you into giving me what I want. <laughs> and you start saying, wow, God, thank you that you forgave me. Thank you that even though my performance was inadequate, you still accepted me. And now I can start to perform because I'm already accepted rather than performing to be accepted. 
That's what happens when the Spirit of God begins to work in you. In his book, The Seven Pillars of Marriage, Dr. Gottman says there are four parts to sorry. There are four parts to the 30-year studies he did on relationships that really made those troubles work. Here's the first one. We talked about this last week, but I want to reiterate it here. Soften your startup. He said that most people, when you start a conflict with your son, your daughter, your spouse, your boss, we start harsh, it ends harsh. And that becomes the pattern, the pop, 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 the flesh pattern. Why do we always have this conversation? You ever been in that conversation? He said, I have had this fight 16 times, haven't you? I've done that. You say this, and I say this, and you say this, and I say that. He said, why do we do that? That's the flesh. Pop, 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 pop. Instead, somebody criticizes you, and your response is what you always do. You say, wait, wait, I'm criticized, but God, thank you. And this is weird that you could say this, but you really can. You get to the place you go, God, I feel criticized. I'm securing you. Help me not to respond out of criticism. What's going on in this person's life? I see their bad behavior. What's underneath that? Oh, they're feeling a need for some attention. They're needing some comfort right now. And instead of attacking out of my security in God, I can put their needs ahead of my own. And I'm soft. Why? Because God was soft with us. He could have come down. And some of us got so turned off by preachers who are like, Girl, you're going to hell. And you seem like they're lightning bolts and all that. When you read the Bible, you find a God who knows we have needs. We have trouble. We have so much trouble. Yet he comes down to earth in the form of a human being. And he's soft and it's touchable. It's huggable. He says, I want to I help you. I want to soften the message. I want to tell you that there's some, ba- there's some bad things you need to hear, but I want to tell it in a soft way. And the grace of God allows you to criticize without being critical. It allows you to receive criticism without feeling like you've been totally criticized. That's what grace does to you. It makes you be softer. Second thing is he understood you need to learn to make and receive repair attempts. And he said as they studied couples or relationships, there were all kinds of different ways that as things were escalating, getting worse and worse and worse, couples would find ways to say, well, we're in trouble. Let's escape this. Sometimes with humor. It's one couple. Right as things were getting bad, he'd stick his tongue at her. Hmm. And she'd stick her tongue out back. Hmm. And and they'd sort of laugh about it. Be done. Now, in your marriage, you might say, that wouldn't work for us. If I stuck my tongue out, I'd be yanked out from my throat. (laughs) You need to find a pattern that works for you guys, that says, hey, we know we're headed toward trouble. And when it's headed toward trouble, you've got something you do with your son, with your daughter, that says, well, can we back away for a second? Can we revisit this? It doesn't really matter, he found, what it was or how it worked. It was just the two people said, I'm making an attempt to save us from hurting each other. And the other person, one person could make it, and the other person would receive it. And those couples and those relationships that were destroyed were where one person was throwing out lifelines, trying to make those repair attempts over and over and over again. The other person, and never received them. Some of us are good at making them. Some of us are not good at making them. But the key to sorry, the key to moving from trouble to sorry, to have healthy, long-lasting relationships in any area, is learning to make and receive Repair attempts. So maybe when things aren't hostile, you sit down and say, what can we do? We have this pattern, pop, 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 pop. When we get to the pop, pop, pop stage, how can we catch each other? And say, well, this is that thing that we hurt each other with. Give some code words or some ways to have an escape. Three, compromise. This is why the message of the Bible is so powerful. When you compromise to the 70% of problems that aren't going to change, you adapt. And you look at the God of the Bible 
and how adaptable he is. It says that God became man. He compromised. He adapted himself to come to the earth. And then he, he let himself, it says, not only die, but die on a cross. He so compromised his own rights, his own needs, his own comfort for you. And when that begins to really gravitate in your heart, not like, oh, I, know, I guess I know that. I mean, you really get to feel that. Oh, he compromised for me. He put his own needs on the back shelf and prioritized me. When that begins to hit you, that's what allows you to say, you know what, my spouse, my son, my daughter's needs are just driving me crazy. They're so needy. Then you go, wow, but I was so needy. And God adapted or compromised to me. And in light of what he's done for me, I want to pass that along to others. And that's where the power of the Bible, the power of Christ, impacts you. It allows you to be tolerant. Let me tell you, nobody was more tolerant than Jesus. Jesus has nails pounded into his hands and his feet. He's got everybody spitting on him, screaming at him, crown of thorns pushed on his head. He looks at all these people who are so intolerant. And you know what he says to them? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You'll never see anyone more tolerant than Jesus of legitimate differences, legitimate evil. And the tolerance of Christ can be, begin to bring that kind of softness and mercy into your relationships. It was a secret, as I mentioned last week, of me being able to reconcile with my brother. 70% isn't even close to the percentage of how we disagree on what happened four years ago. It might be 99.9. But when I showed up, with my son with me, because I said, son, I want you to observe me, tell me if you feel like I'm handling this wrong. I want you to see me trying to adapt, trying to reconcile with my brother. I want you to see me trying to meet him in his world. And I was exhausted after two hours. We got done with me listening to his side and trying to apologize for any percentage I could. And everything in me was like, he needs to apologize for 99%. I'm going to focus on my part. I'm going to reconcile. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to be soft here. And my brother left after we talked. He headed to the bathroom before we switched subjects. And I just didn't even see it coming. I just burst into tears. My, my teenage son was sitting next to me. He's like, you're all right. Oh, fine, fine. And it can be so exhausting to try and see something from somebody else's perspective. And the whole time I was there listening to my brother, I was like, God, you did more than this for me. You adapted more than this for me. Help me to adapt for my brother. You reconciled with me when I was very, very pig-headed and I had a totally different perspective. Help me to do that with him. My grandma, on the other hand, not missing self-aware. My grandma used to read all these Christian books. And when she was reading these Christian books, she'd then hand them out to all the family members. So we'd get, you know, several a month and be like, here's a book from grandma, you know, you know how to fix your relationship or, you know, how to stop having dysfunctional, how to deal with jerky people or whatever it was. And so you'd open up the book and I kid you not, you'd open the book up, page two, Ross needs to work on this. <laughs> page five, Kent needs to work on this. Page seven, Lynn needs to work on this. Chad needs to work on this. You'd go through the whole book and she had what everybody needed to work on. Not once in ten years did her name ever appear in the book. I don't need to work on nothing. Nothing. And you talk to my grandma and she could size up what everybody else needed to do. And you say, well, well I am. Don't you think that maybe you could? I am who I am. I am who I am. 
And there is something in all of us, that flesh pattern. Pop, pop, I am who I am, but I can tell you how you ought to fix. That's trouble. But the grace of God allows you to practice these four aspects of sorry. And it will reconcile. It will deepen your relationship. Statistically proven. And whatever your pattern is. I remember Desmond um, Tudu. He wrote a book about forgiveness. He said there's no way forward with forgive, without forgiveness. He was working in South Africa amongst the time of the apartheid. And there was so much devastation. Some people wanted justice and wanted everybody punished. And he, I think it was in 95, he went on a council to offer a third way. Brutal murder. Brutal genocide. Just horrible things going on between the tribes. He had all those who had murdered come forward and confess the terrible things they'd done. An open forum. And he had those who were victims, their father, their mother, their sister, their father had died. They're listening to the confessions. And he gave them a chance to confess what they'd done wrong and those to forgive. And he said it restored the entire country. He tells the story of Miss Kalata and her daughter who came to one of these engagements. And after many had confessed murders of tribes and villages and just in tears confessing the horrible things they've done. Miss Kalata said, Do you, does anyone know who killed my husband? Her daughter, yes, we need to know who killed my dad. And he went up to talk to him, thinking that they wanted justice and wanted you know, to have them hanged or whatever. And they said, we need to know who killed my husband and my father because we so want to offer forgiveness so we can have peace. Story after story of how an entire country came together through sorry, restoring tr- the trouble that had plagued them. See, sorry is a great substitute for trouble. And so the takeaway for us today, two parts. Number one, I want you to try and identify your part in the trouble. So when you see these face masks we looked at, it's hard to see yourself. Some of us use a combination of two. Here's Arnold with Yoda. We're a little bit of, uh, of sweet martyr and a little bit of outdone. To maybe jot down, say, you know, there's a, I think the go-to pattern I have is that sweet martyr, or maybe it's the, or it's the outdone. Maybe my go-to piece is that I'm the procrastinator, and, and I use this as a way to control or to get back, because you're not prioritizing my needs, why should I prioritize yours? That's a very unhealthy pattern. Maybe yours is the complainer, and you haven't learned to set healthy boundaries to give options. Like, hey, listen, here's three options. I want to help out, but ultimately you've got to decide. I don't know what it is, but if you could identify what is the pattern that I am currently doing, not that they're doing, that's causing trouble. I'm the yes, but. I'm the Eeyore. I've got to overcome that and realize I don't need to be Eeyore to get attention or to matter. Nothing's wrong. It's okay to be vulnerable because ultimately I'm secure in what God has done for me. But two parts. Sorry is a great substitute for trouble. Identify your part of the trouble in whatever the relationship is. And then number two, and this is so important, make and receive repair attempts. Just a few weeks ago, we had a guy came into our church. He said, man, I had the most, I've never been in a service like this, never been in a church like this. This was so different but meaningful to me. He said, and this is a key day for me. I'd find out later that he had not talked to one of somebody who attended our church for six years. And he decided to make this the place that he would begin the reconciliation process. We had somebody else came in a couple weeks ago. They walked into our building and said, what an abomination. I can't believe they spent all this money on this building. What about the widows and the orphans? And This is ridiculous. And they came into the service. 
And they were so impacted by the message of Christ and our care for the community locally and internationally. And they called up a friend uh, here at the church and said, Can I tell you, I came into your church and I had a terrible attitude and I had this said and I said this. And then I had to call and apologize for my critical attitude and my prejudging in marriage with your son or daughter. Even if they did 90% wrong, own the 10%. You're going to set them up for success in the future. You're going to help set up your relationships for success now. You're going to be statistics show that those who practice this are healthier. Your cancer level goes down because your production of the this white cell white cells you need and and, and the and the the studies that I said last week with the ARPs that said that if you will transition these these forgiving habits, not only does your health go up, your relationship goes up, your kids are better. There's so many reasons to do this. And God in you says he can do it for you if you receive his forgiveness and pass it on. Maybe you need to do what this next song says. Have a conversation today. Talk to somebody today to make those repair attempts. Let's listen. And maybe you have something to say, both to God or to somebody else. So I just want to give you a moment just to uh, maybe have a quiet time of reflection. Maybe I'll, I'll guide you in that if you'd like. Just bow our heads together and maybe you want to confess, which just means agree. Agree that something's wrong. Agree that you have some part of it. You can say it this way. Say, God, I'm in trouble. God, I'm in trouble. And this morning I want to say sorry. God, I need your forgiveness. God, more than that, I need the security of knowing I'm loved and respected by you. I believe and receive your spirit in me. And I ask that you give me the power to take your reconciliation, your repair attempt with me, and begin to make a repair attempt this week. And tell God who, who you're thinking about this week. God, I want to make a repair attempt with my daughter, my sister-in-law, whoever it is. Father, we thank you for this good news, the good news that you accept us and love us and can teach us a better way to do relationships. A better way that's not about game playing and manipulation and tricking people, but can be honest, secure vulnerability that builds us up and changes the games we play. We thank you for the ultimate game player, Jesus, who came and loved us in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for being here for our series. We're going to continue next week with Battleship. Uh, As you head out today, if you came prepared to give, there's some offering boxes. Or if you'd like to greet somebody, third door on your left is the hearth room. We'd love to put a name with a face. Thanks again.